Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mangum Talks TV. I am Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. How you doing today, Spencer? I've got my beer. I've got a wonderful episode of Succession to talk about, and I've got great company to do it with. Life is good. Oh, you're so nice. Uh, yeah, we are cranking through Succession. We're just about done. We're on the second to last episode. This is episode nine. It's called Prenuptial. It was. Um, very interesting episode. Before we jump in at Spencer, do you want to plug Mangum Reads? Uh, Mangum Reads is continuing through our run of Pottering Around, which I believe we've earned a fan in you, sir. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, I dig it, man. I, it's first off it let me let me sh- shout out to the that podcast it's tight um not well no i am saying that your other mangum reads are not tight no that's <laughs> but, fair mangum reads this is purposely rambling you've got segments you've got cocktails you've got a grumpy bj who's trying to pretend like he doesn't hate harry potter <laughs> he's trying we've hard. got you who's sort of you you take in the content like you you're 12 like you're just just enjoying it just on the surface no uh-huh. it's amazing uh, and it's been a delight for us. We're I'm a, I'm always confused as to BJ's release schedule, but in terms of what we just recorded, we just handled the second to last chapter, and we're now moving into the end game, which yeah. I'm legitimately excited. It's kind of a weird thing of where I can now understand why so many people loved this series going back for so long in my childhood. I'm just I almost feel deprived that I didn't join that bandwagon earlier. Yeah, so that episode that you recorded will be available around Easter of 2020. <laughs> God, that man records in advance. <laughs> he certainly does. But anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about the issue at hand. It is Succession. It is episode nine. Spencer, what did you think of the episode? I thought it was a very solid episode. Uh, it was interesting to see all the character development. It was interesting to see some legitimate... This show has not necessarily focused on pathos as much, but there were some scenes that were really sad for the characters. Made me feel sad for them. It was well done. It's also really just shown how each of the characters is falling into their particular mold heading into our end game, And it's just raising more questions in my mind as to how this end will play out. I have assumptions. I very much believe where certain players will be when this season wraps up. But I don't really have a concept of how they'll get there. And that just leaves me constantly dedicated to watching more. Okay, so a bit of a recap to get you to where we're at at the start of episode nine. Tom has a closed-loop system. Uh, Tom is getting married to Shib in London, and Kendall is going to be a part of an aggressive um, takeover attempt of Waystar Roy Co. with uh, Logan Roy's big nemesis, Sandy Furness. Mm-hmm. And through the aid, of course, of Stewie, who is the broker of all things corruptive. Stewie is the best. Great Stewie episode here. <laughs> Great lines from Stewie episode here. <laughs> yeah, so we are going to do the recap, and then we will do some segments. Our segments are Spencer's relationship advice of the episode, which you haven't been doing very well, but you're you're gonna. I, I have faith in you. Come back strong here. It'll be a short uh, one for me. I can just summarize it right now if you like. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's, let's save it. Let's tease the people. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We have Roy of the episode, mm-hmm. which Roy won the episode, and then we have. Roman line of the episode, uh, which in historic fashion last episode was not awarded to Roman. No, it was a very much steal from Tom there, but I think both of us were just in utter consensus that no one could win but him and his closed loop system. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's just the funniest thing. I, I, I've, this is now a year and a half old or so, and I watched it, you know, live. I watched it week to week, and I still giggle when I think about it. <laughs> Doesn't seem to re- be the reaction that Sarah has when you use that term. <laughs> No, no. And she uh, she has a job where, you know, she has to do some technical reading. Mm-hmm. And she actually, <laughs> the other day, came home and said, 
that she had had to read something about an actual closed loop system. Oh no. <laughs> oh God. Desire to add footnotes referencing episode. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. All right, let's get going. It's the wedding episode, Spencer. It starts with a shot of a beautiful English countryside and what appears to be a castle. This is a straight up castle. What um, I'm assuming this is happening. Well, from what's demonstrated, this is happening at their mother's family's estate. Yeah, that's what I gather. Um, yeah, so it's Logan's second wife, I believe. Yes. And it's at their family estate. I'm not, mm. I think they make clear that it's not actually hers. Mm-hmm. And she makes various joking references to it as we get, as we go through. Yes. Um, okay. Everyone is arriving and driving across a bridge into a parking lot area in front of the castle. A bus pulls up and Tom is clearly happy to see it, but the bus driver won't go across the bridge. The wedding planner, and can we just pour a little out for this wedding planner? Oh, Oh my God. Long-suffering individual of the episode. Oh, man, to have this wedding that you're running. Oh, terrible. Explains to Tom that the driver doesn't think that the thing will fit. Tom immediately looks at that as well. Yeah, the bus will fit. Um, Then he says, well, he doesn't think the bridge can hold the weight, and he's worried about his mirrors. Tom, establishing that he's going to be a diva right away, says, well, which is it, Charlotte? The story keeps changing. (laughs) Yeah, Tom's pretty insufferable this episode with respect to this wedding planner. I mean, we've talked before about most job you'd least want to have uh, in this show. Previously, we mentioned Logan's assistant of where you'd need to pay us a lot of money to do that. Wedding planner for any member of this family may beat that in terms of just unpleasant professions. I'm on record as saying I could be Logan's assistant. I think I could speak Logan. You were looking forward to it provided you get the million dollar salary that she was. Uh, yes, sir. Tom goes out to meet the folks on the bus, which is looks like his folks. Um, yeah, all his and folks. Tom, Tom is really giving Charlotte shit here. He reminds her that he is in the hospitality industry and can smell bullshit. Which was a good line. That was a pretty cutting line from him right there. Uh, Tom's mom and dad get off the bus. Apparently, they sat at the airport for a few hours. Um, but Tom's mom tries to make the most of it. She says she liked watching the planes come in. Says she thinks she saw someone from U2. <laughs> Tom's dad ask if weirdly ask if Arthur Laffer is coming the guy who discovered the laffer curve <laughs> yeah i had to look that guy up was not familiar myself uh tom said well uh, it could be it's mostly rock gods and economists <laughs> <laughs> and then the fly guys the fly guys made it fly guys yeah yeah if, how the fly guys are so excited to see him after that debacle of a bachelor party where they were basically dismissed in two minutes and offered money for coffee i do not know they're good friends that's what they are would you do that for me if i dismissed you two minutes into my bachelor party I would go purposely so that I have an even better excuse to give you shit. You'd be giving me ammo for years with that asshole move. Uh, cute that Tom's parents are excited about the guest list. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom's dad mentions that his mother is thirsty. Uh, so Tom says, okay, let, let's go inside. But not before hitting Charlotte with, I hope you're happy now, Charlotte, because my mother is dying of thirst and I've just picked up a bag. I'm carrying a case on my wedding eve. <laughs> God, Tom is the best. It was one of those things of where maybe at the start of this show I would have assumed it was Shiv, but now seeing where the characters have gone, no, Shiv doesn't care enough to be a wedding diva. It would totally be Tom. No, Shiv is on on record as not caring. Cut to the credits. Ah. Ooh, drinking that beer? I'm having fun. Nice. Cut to Shiv, who is in a hotel with Gil and Nate. Now, usually when Shiv is a hotel in a hotel with Nate, it's a little bit of a different vibe. But here, Gil is there. Here's a question. Do you think Nate has told Gil about his relationship with her? No. You think that Nate is keeping that secret? Yes. 
Now, is that because Nate is a particular honorable sort, or just not something that he that would benefit Gil to know? I think he knows that Gil wouldn't approve of it. That's fair. That's a fair point. It would have given Gil potentially an edge over Shiv, but yeah, that's a, that's a good read on Gil's character that that's not something he would have appreciated. I don't think he would appreciate it. I also don't think he's socially deft enough to notice it. That's you know, also like he, fair. Like, like in about a span of about five minutes, Tom picked up on what was going on. But I think Gil could work with these two closely and just never, never see it. And we get to see several moments over the course of this episode that Gil really actually has a hard time doing basic levels of kind of human functioning with other people. It's, it's interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of Bernie in that way. We've talked about this character as being Bernie Sanders. But I could totally see a situation where, like, Bernie's working on a campaign and, like, his campaign deputy and communications director are hooking up and into each other and dating for, I don't know, six months. And then they announce to Bernie they're getting married. And Bernie just goes, uh, you, you two together? You? <laughs> I don't think he would ever pick up on that. Yeah. And the... Um, we pretty much have uh, laid out here what's going to be Gil's difficulty throughout this whole episode is that he's taking these attacks on him really, really deeply and just yeah. can't let it go. Yeah, they said, uh, Nate said they've been doing the media monitoring um, and Gil's in at 11. Uh, Motherfuckers, I'll kill them. Uh, Nate whispers that Gil isn't sleeping. That's not a good sign. Mm. So apparently the thing that ticked him off is a guy with a screwdriver face, as <laughs> Nate says. <laughs> Um, Never heard that description before, but sure. Yeah, go on. On ATN ran a segment questioning if Gil drove his wife to suicide. Which is not something new. This is something clearly ATN's been running with for a while now. But I guess probably emphasizing it to a greater degree now that Shiv works for them. Yep. Uh, Shiv tries to get him to ignore it. And he says, this is a great line from Gil. I'm focused, I'm focused. I'm x-raying this briefing for salient facts. I mean, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. But is it possible your father is the worst human being who ever lived? I'm I like pick, Gil. Yeah. I, yeah. He's, he's an interesting character. It's... I don't... I, I worry to a certain degree that if this in the early going of the race is enough to rattle him, how will he do when you've got major domestic issues or international issues going on? Because this is clearly something people have been hounding him with for a while. And just the fact that ATN has now ramped up the momentum, he's not able to function in a practical way anymore. It's a very yeah. personal attack against someone clearly against him in a way that about someone he very much obviously cared about. But he's a politician. He's I'm certain he's heard this many times before. Are you saying that you don't think that Gil could run against Trump? <laughs> I I'm worried about his conditioning for it right now. Yeah, I don't think he could. I think Gil would take a swing at Trump on the debate stage. That'd be entertaining. I, I think yes. I think I would bet on Gill over Trump in that particular fist fight, but you know I don't think it would necessarily help his election chances. <laughs> uh, Gill asks if it's true that Logan is not coming to the wedding, and ask why. Is it out of spite? Uh, Ship says it's complicated, and Gill says he wants to take Logan out, wants to take Atiana. Ship says she does not think that's wise, and Gill loyalty test here says, "Well, what if I thought it was wise? What would you do? Would you have a problem with it?" And Ship says, "No, she'll do whatever he wants." Spencer, do you believe her that she'll do whatever Gil wants? No! No! She's the most disloyal person on this show. She's demonstrated that at every turn. She will do what's in her best interest in any particular moment. Yep. Completely agree. Matter of fact, anytime I start the sentence, Spencer, do you believe her? And I'm talking about Shib. <laughs> answer is no. Yeah, and it's just... I fully believe her right now. I fully believe... How do I put this? The reason she said that was because it was in her best interest to say it, because she knew it's what he wanted to hear. 
And that's the only reason she said that. Yeah. And the scene ends with Gil asking for some dirt on Logan or ATN. I got to tell you, um, not a good move here by Gil. Uh, I think this crosses a line. I don't think you ask a daughter to provide dirt on her father. Um, I know that this family's fucking weird, but come on, Gil. Like, that's not what I want my president doing. No. Although, I do want my president dropping lines like this. I'm in a knife fight, and I'm holding a dildo made of American cheese. I'm so glad you wrote that down, because that is such a funny line. It's such a one. <laughs> I, that's a wonderful way to describe that situation. But well, it's one of those where you go, hmm, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah that that would you could slice right through that. I got it. <laughs> yeah, I have never had that particular uh, image in my mind before, but that's not going to leave for a while now. Uh, but <laughs> it's what I fully agree with you that this is the kind of thing where if this got out that he was browbeating the daughter of his enemy to provide him you know, information to bring his enemy down, that could ruin a candidacy. Oh, yeah. It's very much like, you know, the, in, you know, searching for the monster, take care not to become the monster type thing, right? I know I botched that quote, but it's the same sort of thing. I mean, Gil's yeah. kind of going native here. And you can understand why he's, well, I understand that he feels like he's on his back foot, that he feels like he's being put his back against a wall and he has to do something desperate to make this work. But I'm with you. This isn't an appropriate way to go about it. Even if you're dealing with someone that in his mind is just the epitome of evil. Uh, back to England and Kendall is in a car signing documents. He pulls into the what looks like a parking lot of a little pub. And he sees Stewie. He's apparently meeting Stewie there. Um, g- great Stewie episode. Um, mm-hmm. Probably the best so far. Uh, Stewie is not enjoying himself. No, he's in not. The, in the English countryside. He, uh, he drops this one. Um, has your sister ever heard of Lake Como? Has she ever heard of Venice, St. Bart's, the Maldives? She has heard of these locations. She must be aware of them. <laughs> Again, I really want the, the Stewie Romans uh, spinoff. That's going to be great for me. Question also, practically. Did they invite... Uh, mean, Stewie's at the wedding. He was on the guest list to be invited to the wedding? I mean, I know he's an old friend to Kendall's, but have we seen anything to suggest that he's a friend of either Shiv or Tom's? Um, no, I don't think that he is. Um... Is he Although ch- Roman Roman does know him, mm-hmm. but I also don't think Kendall has a lot of friends. This so I think when fair. when Shib goes to Ke- Kendall and says you get fifty people, I mean he's probably digging back to like people he knew in college. Yeah, that's a fair point. At this point, Stewie may have been his plus one for all we know. <laughs> Ooh, burn. Uh, Kendall says he he got the call because um, Stewie asked to get the call. And he confirms he did, and they hug. Now, I, that to me sounds like, okay, everything's in line for this hostile takeover. We have all the investors together. We have all the capital ready. Mm-hmm. Everybody's cool with the plan. Uh, and they go in the pub. Um, Kendall's like, Ooh, you really want to go in here? And Stewie, brother, we are putting together a hostile takeover of one of the largest media corporations in the world. I think we can brave some non-vintage champagne. <laughs> Stewie has some wonderful quotes this episode. He really He's amazing. does. And he, and he, we, I, I love this actor because... He orders a bottle of champagne in the worst way I've ever seen anybody do it. Mm-hmm. He lowers his voice like he's talking to a toddler. Yeah. <laughs> he says, yes, I'll take a bottle of champagne, please. Yes, thanks. Over there. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it, it, yeah I love that it's broken into little short sentences. The thing is, it's like, um, can we get a bottle of champagne? A bottle, please. Thank you. It's just, it's, yeah, it's so talking down. It's so, I'm going to explain a concept that I know you're going to struggle with, but I'm here for you. And then this is so British. This lady just starts running around screaming for her husband. We have the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ordered that in 30 years. 
Uh, yeah, so Kendall and uh, Sui start talking, and Kendall seems really concerned about the dates this is all going down. That becomes important later. Stewie says, well, we have an issue, the Canadians. There seems to be a little static on some details. Kendall, like what? Like you as CEO. Here's what I love about Stewie, among many things. He will just tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Now, he will strategically lie at times. Like he lied about Sandy Furness being his his financial backer for the, the buy-in on Waystar. He lied by That's a strategic lie. He lied by omission, when, mostly there. Yeah, but when you, need to be, you, when you need to be told that you're an asshole or people don't like you, mm -hmm. Stewie's your guy. Yeah, I mean... I would honestly say that Stewie has been, in his own manipulative, corruptive kind of way, one of the more honest characters on the show. He never straight up lies to you. He's pretty honest, honestly, about what he intends to do. You just need to know how to read what he just said. That's he, a good point, because even when he was going through the, the buy of Waystar, he always just said, I can get the money. Yeah, that's he always He never lied said. about where the money was. And, and when, the, when uh, Kendall was trying to basically say, I need you in on my effort to you know usurp my dad, all he said was, well, you know me, I'll follow the money. That was, and he did. At no point did he misrepresent what he intended to do. It was just on both Roman and Kendall with the respect people they're talking to that they interpreted it in a way that best suited them. Although he does ask a really stupid question here. He asked Kendall why he's jumpy about this. Um, Kendall, about fucking Rome, fucking Shiv and Connor, probably blowing what's left of my dad's fucking brain, about taking the company out of family control forever. I don't know, Stewie. Why would that make me jumpy? So, a couple points. Yeah. Kindle is right here. Yeah. In the sense that it's a dumb question. Yes. But there's also the cocaine to consider. And that's more what I think Stewie was talking about right now. <laughs> yeah. Because Stewie knows them signs. Yeah, yeah. He's he's aware. Um he's got he's got <laughs> he's some, got some uh, personal background. Um cut to Logan, and this scene is hilarious. Oh my god, it's such a dad move, a grumpy dad move. He's talking to Jerry, he's claiming he doesn't give a fuck, he's not there, he doesn't give a fuck. He's adamant he doesn't want to go. Mm -hmm. If she comes begging, I'll consider it. <laughs> and then he, this is kind of a cute moment. He starts asking about people there. Yeah. Like, oh, is that person there? Did she bring that fucking idiot boyfriend or whatever? And God knows how long he kept poor Jerry on the phone with this. Oh, yeah. Not, I can't be there. I can't be there. Don't want to be there. Fuck them. Uh, so how are the place settings? Can you tell me to describe this to me? What flowers did they have? Are the forks placed thusly? Yes. Tell me this isn't a Texas roadhouse. We need to fix this as if this is a Texas roadhouse. <laughs> uh, cut to Shiv and Tom in a car. Um, one of many very uncomfortable Shiv and Tom moments oh, in this episode. Tom mentions the rehearsal, and Shiv says they don't need a rehearsal. They're going to kill it. Yeah, that's not the point at all. Damn it, Shiv. It's the most blase attitude toward the wedding I think I've ever seen. I mean, outside of like, I don't know, like po politicians and the Kardashians. I mean... Shiv and Tom are the heart and soul of this particular episode, and it's just really sad and painful and unpleasant that this awkward, unpleasant moment between the two of them is the least of what will come. Tom asks if they want to reconsider Logan. Shim says, Shib does a modified version of the house words, fuck him. Mm-hmm. It qualifies. Tom then asks about what name they, and really he's driving it here, him, because he knows she's not changing her name are going to go by. Shocker here, Spencer. I know this floored you. Falling off the couch surprised. Tom is okay with taking the name Tom Roy. You know, I had thoughts. I had ponderings. But yeah, yeah, this was inevitably what Tom would be okay with. Yeah, not really an upset here. Yeah. <laughs> I think he probably would prefer to take the name Tom Roy. Uh, Shib ignores his, his line of questioning entirely. And she says she wants to know about the thing in cruises. Um, this is the scandal that Tom uncovered earlier in the season about a series of 
criminal activities that happened systemically on Waystar Royco uh, cruise lines that were covered up through hush money or by going to ports of friendly countries that would, quote, investigate it and do nothing about it. Yep, that good summary. Um, the fact he's even hesitating about telling her here, I think, is really funny. Yeah, this is an interesting thing of where Tom would normally just bare his soul to Shiv on any topic at any time, anywhere, anyhow. The fact that he's not just shows how bad this is. Yeah. Um, he says, uh, here's a quote for you, Spencer. Uh, I need you to diagram this for me, so get ready. Mm-hmm. I just think church and state and ACDC and ebony and ivory and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> so I'm going to back up here, Professor Pants. <laughs> Tell me what the hell Tom is talking about. He's talking about the various divisions that just could never cross. And they're in church and state, you know, built into the U.S. country. U.S. law that uh, the there will never be a state a, a state church or state religion as part of a key aspect of our constitution. Uh, ACDC going into I'm presuming he's talking about AC and DC current there rather than the band uh, is talking about you know the the current the current wars between Westinghouse and uh, Edison. Uh, Ebony that I, is not what he is talking about. No, he isn't. What is he talking about there? I'm a hundred percent sure he's talking about the rock band. Okay, go on I then, mean, man. I, you know I, this. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's it. This, the, shocker. Spoiler alert. This doesn't come up later. Mm. <laughs> but it. Uh, I thought he was talking about the the band, but maybe not. Which and which, which ACDC song would he be talking about then? Presumably I that would be the reference. Was, I thought it was as simple as ACDC AC slash DC. They never. It's always AC and then DC over here. I thought it was that simple. <laughs> but maybe I'm an idiot. I don't know. Equally valid interpretation. Ebony and Ivory is obvious, and then Never the Twain Shall Meet is just, you know, butchering an old quote. So, yeah, this is him trying to find something else to put the blame on here rather than himself for not answering her question. Yeah, Tom is getting into Roman levels of babbling here. Yes. Um, anyway, we go uh, talk about this. Shib points out that he wanted it to go public. Basically, her line of reasoning here is like, look, dude, you wanted to skid out anyway. And Tom explains, yeah, that's true. But that was before I destroyed all the evidence. Cogent point here from Tom. Barry. Ship says the longer it doesn't come out, the worse it will be. Tom says, not if it never comes out. Mm-hmm. Very good point, Tom. Yeah, Tom's winning on all cards here. He's winning 10 nine rounds. But she uh, tries Ship, again. Yeah, she posits that it's probably not that bad. Tom, uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's just. And then I think. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no, it's oh, just, you go ahead. Yeah, it's just Shiv is. She's not used to Tom telling her no, and she doesn't really know how how to actually finagle him to make that happen. This is uncharted territory for both of them right now. I think. This might be the first time he's ever told her no. Yeah, but she and clearly from her uh, line of trying to persuade him, she's not equipped for this. She's never built a strategy for doing this before. And now we have a little, you can, you can snip it. You can make this a little vignette of everything that is a problem with these two as a couple. Because they pull up and Ship says this. Oh, fuck. Here we go. Tom says, look, honey, this is where it's happening. <laughs> I think, I think Ship's talking about her mom. I think, I hope. Otherwise, good God. Yeah, I don't know. I think she was talking about Kendall because uh, it's Kendall. Kendall is here. Yeah. Um, she asked, have you spoken to the wicked bitch of the West yet? Mm. Um, I just shouldn't she say East? 
Uh, well, you know, it's part of Western civilization, so it can work to a certain degree, but it's definitely east of where they live. Yeah, I don't know. I feel but, like they left that one on the w- table. Wicked Witch of the West is the direct reference to, you know, the Wizard of Oz. So, sure, yes. Kendall wants to know how long this will take. <laughs> He's a busy man. Uh, then we meet the mother of Kendall, Roman, and Shib, the grandest character of the episode, one of my favorite characters of this whole series. I was so happy for you to meet her. Caroline Collingwood. This is such a wonderful character. I adore her. She is delightful. And I did not know what to make of her for a while, but the episode made it really clear by the end what she is. This lady is a force of fucking nature, and she starts immediately. Um, But before she can start sniping people, which does happen right away, Tom sees Roman and his date. (sighs) Roman? Roman (sighs) comes to his date. Now, let's go back. Now, I warned everybody that our last episode, episode eight, Prague, mm-hmm. was very, very adult. Yeah. So if you heard that warning and you turned off the podcast, I'm going to need you to skip ahead. You can do the little skip ahead button on your podcast player for 30 mm-hmm. seconds. Okay. Okay. Do it now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is the lady that blew Tom in the sex party that was happening in a warehouse in Brooklyn and then spit the jizz back in his mouth and he had to swallow it. Excellent. This is the same lady. Yeah. Well summarized, sir. Okay. Okay. We're okay. back. We're back in. Okay. Thanks for that, everybody. Okay. We're back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so this is who Roman took with him to yeah. this to his sister's wedding. And he says to Tom, Tom, you remember Tabs? <laughs> I love that he just, at every opportunity, he's just straight up. So this is the lady that did that with Tom. Fucking phenomenal. Yeah. I, this is one of the funniest things in the show. And I, I, it's interesting because as we've been talking about Roman and his romant, romantic life mm-hmm. on these podcasts, it's been very hard for me not to immediately talk about the fact that he starts dating tabs after that incident. I got I got to ask. I got to ask you a question. And if this is spoiling something, I don't care because I got to know. Is, did Roman start this for the purpose of fucking with Tom? To just, you know, make it awkward with Tom because Roman's enough of a troll to do that? Or is this building on from when we saw seemingly Roman and Tom see her for the first time and Roman seemed really into her? So I'll tell you my theory. I don't think the show ever really makes it perfectly clear. Okay. My theory here is that Roman is a real serious freak. Like... And I know you're a freak, Spencer. I mean, it's documented. But I'm talking about, like, he's like he's like Yoda-level freak. He's like a <laughs> fucking freak master. He's got a lot of freak mitochlorians, like, running around in his blood. This guy is out there. And I think that he first thought she was very attractive. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she snowballed a complete stranger, I think to him, just... I think this is legit. I think he really likes her because of this. And the fact it was a complete stranger and Tom probably just adds icing to that kick. Oh, well, he clearly gets a kick out of it. But I do think that he he saw that. He heard what happened and he thought, okay, this sounds like my kind of my kind of person here. Yeah, The particular kinks that propel Roman are still a subject of confusion for me because we've been given a little bit of evidence, but none of them perfectly linked together yet other than that he is not typical. Well, Tom... Is a bit unsettled. Oh, um, <laughs> fair. Uh, but he does pull it together quickly. And then he meets Caroline and she says, gosh, look at you. You're very plausible. I won't do the accent the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but please. I, hey, every once in a while. Roman asks again if everyone has met Tabitha um, and greets Kendall by uh, barking at him, which I thought was pretty great. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Caroline says, come, let's go play happy family. Oh, this lady's great. I also love her response of which is, oh, you're plausible, uh, which I have no exact idea what that means. But then Tom says, oh, thank you. And she just looks at him and says, exactly. It's just, she's so cutting. It's lo- it's lovely. I know. And like, I think that the world is, is just less that these, that Logan and her got divorced. I mean, how great oh. would it be for everybody for those two to show up at a dinner party? Uh, I think her, I think Logan and Marsha is a healthier relationship, but man, they would have provided live entertainment wherever they went. Yeah, well, it would have left Marsha single, and we know somebody on this podcast got a thing for her. You know, assuming I could find her, because I'm assuming she's a secret agent from either Lebanon or France, and so <laughs> may not have been able to find her when she was undercover. I like it. You're getting into some succession theories here. Mm. Uh, before they go inside, Caroline pulls Shiv aside. She says she likes Tom. She wants to know why she's marrying him. Just fucking with her. Total ball buster. <laughs> Caroline says she hopes this can be a nice event. And she appreciates Shib coming over. Um, Shib says, very telling line here, that her travel agent specializes in guilt trips. <laughs> yeah. Shib is in some ways straight up Logan's daughter. Because when she's annoyed, she cannot help but express it. And if she feels that someone has slighted her or forced her to do something, that's going to be her first statement always. Yep. Um, yeah, so clearly clearly they, they're talking about some fight they had. And here comes Greg. Greg's in it. Tour de force scene here from Greg. Greg shows up. He jogs uncomfortably. Very awkward. Hugs Shiv way too low. Basically puts his head near her breast. Says happy day to her. In meeting Caroline, she says, it's nice to meet you. And he responds, likewise, your excellency. (laughs) He's not quite sure how British nobility work yet, but he's trying. He's trying. Caroline finally pieces together who he is and says, Greg the egg. Because apparently when he was born, he looked like a misshapen egg. And then, whoa. Whoa, son. (laughs) This is, you know what this is? This is like, and I've told you about many, many lines or scenes in this show where you go, oh, okay, they're willing to go there. Mm-hmm. So when this character, Caroline, says this, I go, oh, okay. All right, I'm putting her in like the Roman category now because she says, oh, God. And your dad used to try and sleep with all the men in Sausalito. <laughs> so she just met this guy. Yeah. And she's like throwing out that his dad was closeted gay and was really into it. Yeah, and Greg's usually okay at offering some response as inane as it would be. This one rattles him a bit. I'm going to choose to believe that Greg had no idea his dad was gay until this moment. Oh, no. <laughs> this a- this actor just confusion so well. Because, yeah, when she says this, he just has nothing. It looks like the world just fell upon him. He's just, he has no way of processing this information right now in the moment. Uh, she asked about Greg's mother. Mm-hmm. Greg, so weird. Good. Solvent currently and she says great come on in we go inside and she points to the walls and says these are my disreputable slave-owning ancestors one of the indications that this is her family's estate rather than necessarily hers or she just has a twisted fun sense of humor but after that line greg says very nice yeah. so i don't i don't know where greg's head at is right now he's really he's he's, he's a little behind the curve oh, yeah um she, yeah, she's got Greg on the ropes. Uh, Greg sees Tabitha and goes up to Tom. This is a great scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, Tom. Did you see? What, Greg? That's the girl from Brooklyn, from your bachelor party, who earmuffs everybody for 10 seconds, who sucked your dick and made you swallow your own load. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Greg. I wasn't aware. That's not very wedding-y. <laughs> but that's her. Tom explains that Tabitha is dating Roman. 
implores Greg to not act like an unsophisticated rube. Mm. And he says this line, which is just douchey. It's just one of those weird urban things. Like when you go to see stand-up and the comedian is your dentist. That's what it is, Tom? That's the analogy you're going with here? That's the same category? Sure, fine, go with that. This is a guy who grew up in the Midwest who's been in New York for three years. Mm -hmm. That's the type of comment that is. Uh, But Greg is really shook up here. Spencer, now, question for you. Mm -hmm. If you're Tom, and in all likelihood you will be in a similar situation as him one day, what do you do here? What's the move from Tom? Someday, man, I want you to write the script of what you assume my life is going to be like in five years, because that sounds like an entertaining read. Uh, But seriously, what's the move here for Tom? Probably what he does. Pretend it isn't happening. Because what the hell else can you do? If you confront it, it blows up. If you engage with it, it becomes part of the reality that you just don't want to accept right now. Only thing you really can do is just like, okay, that's a thing I'm going to bury in my subconscious until it festers later. Because... I don't think it's any of the practical way to survive this moment with how awkward that is. See, that's the difference between me and you. And that's why I asked the question. Because I thought you would say that. I thought you would say, well, the only thing to do is just kind of just let it ride. Mm-hmm. I would not. I would walk over and be like, okay, so this is a little weird. So a little ground rules here. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's in all of our best interest to not talk about what happened, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, nice to meet you, Tabitha. It's been very nice to meet you for the first time. I'm going to go back over here with my fiance. Tabitha, I might believe, would be able to be able or capable of having the emotional maturity to comply with those terms. Roman? Roman? If you well, tried to either going to tell or he's not. Yeah, but if you tried to engage him like that, he's just going to see this as more fun. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But that that's my, my first move is to say, okay, let's address this. Mm-hmm. Let's establish some terms and let's move on. Whereas I thought you would say, nope, you're just going to have to just... Push that down. That is just the two of us summarized right there in that little moment. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. Cut to Connor and Wyla greeting a priest. Wyla explains that she's a playwright. Mm -mm, Really? Um, I love the priest's comment hearing that she's a playwright. You know what this is like? This is like if I met someone at a dinner party and they were like, hey, uh, Lee, like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, well, I'm a podcaster. Oh. It's like, yeah, I do a podcast, but I've got a job that brings in money. (laughs) Like, Wyla's got a job that brings in money. Yeah, it's just I, I love his com- his comment of that. Wow, fantastic, America! It's <laughs> so dismissive. I know. And the thing is, is that if she said she was a full time prostitute, he might have had the same reaction. Mm-hmm. Probably <laughs> yes. Uh, he asked what Connor does, and she oh. says Connor doesn't really do anything. Not a good look here from Lila. Big misstep. This is, I think. I mean, we've seen Connor pissed before, but it was that kind of you know. Pissed, pissed when he's running the party thing of where it's just so over the top you can't take it seriously here this is a cold seething offense that's going through him right now because this hurt him when he when she said that and i don't know if he is sort of socially or emotionally intelligent enough to know this but i think that was her just getting loose and slipping up and tipping her cards to what she really thinks about connor yeah and if he had the emotional maturity or as you said intelligence to get that as i hope i would that would be a revealing moment between the two of them but all he has always really capable of is just being angry at her for saying it he doesn't really see the deeper meaning behind it yeah so we cut to i guess they're going to start doing the rehearsal and the priest brings up logan caroline says he couldn't be bothered uh ship says he's not well Caroline says, yes, that's the story. Everyone remember the story. <laughs> She's so great. <laughs> I love this lady so much. Connor says he will be performing the father role. 
look, here's the thing. That's kind of sweet, right? It is. He's the oldest. I know he's like the black sheep. He's not like, you know, he's only half brother. But for him being willing to do that and Shib saying, okay, that's a good idea. I, th- I thought that was kind of a sweet thing. And there's a couple sweet moments in this episode, I'll point out, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of rare for this show. No, and I'm fully with you. When he stood up for that, I don't know if they necessarily planned that. It seemed like he was just actually standing up for her there. And yeah, that was heartfelt. That was meaningful. And I also fully believe that if Connor had been allowed to end up doing that role, he would have done his damnness to be to do the best he could. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a case to be made here that Connor is like the only like good person in the show. Oh, yeah. Except for maybe Greg. <laughs> I mean, several of them have good sides or positive things that you want to reward and respect. But yeah, Connor has his issues. He has his problems. But none of them really affect his morality in any way. He just seems like he is a good person and wants to be a good person. He's just weird. Yeah, he's just fucking odd. But he, yeah, he, he does come from a good place, I think. Connor storms off and Wyla's trying to talk him down. Um, <laughs> I, love this. I like this scene. I think it's a smart scene that the writers set up because it's a, a pretty easy um, way to give us some insight into weird details about Connor's life. Mm-hmm. Like, because he starts going on this rant about what he actually does, right? He's like, oh, I do nothing, huh? Safeguarding 30,000 acres of wilderness, that's nothing. Being on the verge of setting up a podcast on Napoleonic history with a considerable level of investment interest, that's nothing. So I'm going to just point this out here, Spencer. I'm I'm going rogue here. Uh mm -hmm. Here's the offer, Connor. Mangum Talks will post your podcast. (laughs) We will do a podcast on Napoleonic history. I'm down. I, I'm ready. <laughs> I can get this done. But anyway, I, Connor, uh, Myla knows exactly what to say. She just says, look, it was a dumb thing to say. I'm sorry. And Connor forgives her immediately. Mm-hmm. And then they start walking and Connor explains that the castle they are in is the ancestral home that Caroline didn't inherit, which apparently pissed her off. And Wyla comments, it's massive. Connor, I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else on this thing? Uh I enjoyed Connor's also last line that he says there, too, because I think it in some ways summarizes the mental state he's in, where he says, I'm cracking the nut of happiness like a modern-day Thoreau. Well, that's nothing. Uh, Connor seems like he's, you know, it's a twisted kind of happy, but he's content in a way the rest of these characters aren't. The rest of these characters are kind of built in that they can't be content. They constantly have to be on edge. They're existing in their father's world, and he never allowed them to ever be able to sit still. Connor's gotten out of that, and he's content not doing as much, and that's okay with him. He still doesn't want it said that he's doing nothing. He doesn't want that framed in the pejorative kind of way. But at the same time, he just seems like he's a person who's able to be out of the game and still be happy with that. I think he still has aspersions to get back into the game, or aspirations to get back into the game. I just, uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean... After this shit show of an episode, like, Austerlitz isn't looking so bad. No, no, please, take me there. I'll stay there happily. When he says it's 30,000 acres he's, you know, guarding, that's his branch, right? I don't don't assume he's got another 30,000 acres out there anywhere. No, I think that's Austerlitz, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So Kendall's walking outside with Frank. Now, one thing I want to point out, uh, and I missed it on the recap, is that Stewie was very clear with Kendall that he is not to tell anybody about this plan that they have for a hostile takeover of Waystar Royka. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. And I think he even specifically says, don't tell Frank. Yeah. Because he knows with justification that Frank has always been there for Kendall, has always been the guy that Kendall could go to. So of course, Kendall's going to go to Frank. In no small part, because apparently they're business partners now too. Which he does. And they're walking outside and he's asking Frank what the Canadian guys think of him. 
um, not so subtly drops that a major buyout may be happening and they are co-investors. Now, Frank immediately picks up on what this is. And apropos of just Frank and this type of world, says, well, can you wet the beak of an old friend? <laughs> Good line from Kendall here. Too soon, too soon. Get your heart on out of my soup. Mm-hmm. And I also fully believe that if this actually worked for Kendall, yeah, Frank would, of course, have a role. Oh, absolutely. Probably would keep his title, if not, you know, be higher. Yeah, because you know, I'd, I'd much more trust Frank to run this company than Kendall. All right. Now you're saying it. You're saying if it if it had worked, did you watch the next episode? I have not, but I'm still assuming it isn't going to happen. That's. I can't wait to re-listen to this with you. It's so funny. Um, okay. Um, then they said Frank says that they make hard jokes. Like once they called him a calamari cockring. Now, this is also something that I think could be a, a back and forth with me and you. Where if you had to tell me somebody called me a calamari cockring, I think you'd do what Frank says and say, I don't know what that means. Assuming it means something. <laughs> that would, yeah, that would be my default. Is that, okay, no one would refer to another person as, as a calamari cockring unless there was some deeper explanation behind it. It had some higher meaning attached to it. Whereas you would just cut through the crap and just say, no, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's a cockring man and a calamari. <laughs> Yeah, they think I'm a cockroach man. Fucking calamari. Very funny. Uh, cuts to Logan. He's having some kind of staff meeting on what he's going to tell the media about why he's absent from Ship's wedding. Man, being on his staff would be strange. The type of meetings that he calls. <laughs> Quick, we need to we need to vet why I'm not attending. Go. Uh, it's interesting here because I think Logan does want to go. Yeah, and I think they the the, the people that are in the meeting with him pretty quickly deduce that yeah he wants to go. He's just trying to, in some ways, find a reason not to, or at least appear to go through the reasons not to first. That, the second thing, I think that's it. I think he's he's there and he's shooting down all of these absolutely plausible excuses for not going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because he wants to go. But now he's gone through the motions and he has this veneer now of like, well, look, I, I did my very best not to go, but I was I was backed in a corner. Right. In the same way, like with his call with Jerry, is that fuck them, I don't want to be there. But tell me how everybody's doing. Is, is that person still with that guy? He clearly wants to go. He clearly wants to be part of this. He's just too proud to, you know, I don't even know if it's humble himself, but just, you know, let attend without an apology. And during this discussion, at one point, he boasts that none of his kids have off themselves, which is an interesting thing to brag about. And Carolina says, <laughs> I'm a good always... dad. None of my kids have killed themselves. <laughs> really, man, the bar he sets for himself is low. Carolina says they always push that he's a good dad. Logan flares with anger because you are a good dad. Uh, which, I mean, everybody there knows bullshit. Mm. Uh, Logan concludes that there's no other way out. He's got to go. So Logan is going to the wedding. Bump it up. Yep. Um, Shiv is talking to the wedding planner, and clearly Marsha has called and said they were coming. Now, Marsha, your girlfriend, mm. boss move here. Because here's apparently, uh, in listening to this, what I think happened. It sounds like she called the caterer, told the caterer or the, the wedding planner, me and Logan are coming and, and presumably any staff they have. And then she called Tom and asked Tom for permission to come. Yeah, I think this was very well played by her because she got the caterer on board. It's happening, regardless of what everybody wants. And then tech with Tom. Don't talk to Shiv. That that's a, that's a pathway to failure right here. Backdoor. And then what I think happened is Tom went to Shiv. Shiv went to the wedding planner, and the wedding planner said, "Yeah, yeah, I already heard about that. Yeah, we already, already arranged it. Aren't you happy with me?" Yeah, Kendall's obviously concerned uh, that Logan is coming here. He's kind of freaking out, and so is Roman. 
Um, he asked if this is about the launch. And Kendall, God, he can be so dismissive. Yeah, I'm sure he's thinking about that 24 7. Just for clarity's sake, this is the launch of a satellite that uh, Roman has been given responsibility of. I think they talked about this the last episode. Yeah, and I think it's like a. Um, it's associated with media, right? So it's yeah. like, like a satellite or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know how these things work. But I know that sometimes you need satellites for TV. Our understanding of technology is flexible. Really, it's one of the things I feel like we need to watch more technology-focused shows just so we can learn more. Well, if our coverage of Chernobyl is any indication, if we do that, we're going to become experts very quickly. I think we would do very well at a nuclear reactor in the Soviet Union. I think we've got the qualifications necessary to excel. To shine, if you will. Caroline catches word that he's coming. Um, and says she hopes Shib won't forget about her when Logan arrives. With the head of his Middle Eastern operations. Wow. Which is Marsha. Which goes to, that's a, that's a little nugget, little nugget of a theory that you talked about, which is that Marsha's actually a plant from a foreign government. And she's there to exert some level of influence on American media on Logan. That's an actual theory that people have thrown out there. Possible. I don't necessarily buy into it, but then I don't necessarily have a better explanation right now. So sure, I'll entertain it. Sure. Caroline asks Shib what she thinks of Marsha. Shib kind of shuts off and lies. And she says, oh, we got really close during Logan's illness. Caroline says, what a sweet little scene that must have been. (laughs) Dripping with doubt. Then she drops this one. And man, she can hit you with some body blows. It's nice, actually. You being the second most important person at your wedding takes the pressure off. You know, she isn't in our running just because I'm presuming we don't see much of her going forward. But man, if we'd done her line of the episode, we would have had options. She is a she's a great character. The rehearsal reception starts, and Shib is complimenting the wine to Tom's parents. Now, apparently, this is the thing that Tom's parents bought. Mm-hmm. Now, just all right. Let, let's say I'm not talking about myself. Let's say I'm talking about somebody else that I know, and they were marrying somebody who was paying for the whole wedding. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you had a family that eh, couldn't really pay for everything but wants to do a little something sure yeah of course i think that that person would be terrified that their little podunk family would be running around telling everybody what they've done (laughs) as these guys are doing throughout the course of this episode and the fact that tom didn't head this off at the pass i think is a real problem for tom Mm -hmm. because his parents are even in this in, in this scene you see it where it's like the, the, the husband immediately, Tom's dad immediately brings up, well, it was, like, it was expensive enough. And it's like, dude, you are so tone deaf. Like, think about the wealth that you're in right now. You cannot talk about how expensive the champagne was yeah. without seeing like a fucking, like a backwoods hobo that Kendall would do crank with. Yeah, you're drinking champagne in a friggin' castle. The venue is a castle. This is the opulence you become a part of for this moment. Just, you know, take the compliments about the wine and go, oh, thank you, of course. That's the best thing you can do right now. Ah, it's so cringy. Nate walks up and says, Gil would like a word. They walk off. Tom sees Nate touching Shib's lower back as she walks until she moves his hand away. Uh-huh. Now, Spencer, you, uh, you've, got a, you've got a partner. I do. As do you. Yes. Where are we going with this? Well, I'm just saying, you, that would be a, that'd be a pretty big sign, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm... What I'm trying to get at here is I don't think Tom is overreacting 
when he he gets worried about Nate because that little moment, I mean, it's it's a real well written moment where he touches her lower back. She's initially okay with it. She remembers she's in public. She pulls his hand away. It's that the, to me is is a very telling sign. And it's the hand remove that's really the big thing too. It's the degree of hiding things that just like okay, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm with you. And I don't I don't think anyway Tom's overreacting. And I also am willing to believe that. This thought's already been in Tom's head a while. We've had several episodes of where either he's realized it or other people have put it there that Shiv's fidelity is in question. Yeah, and that comes up again and again in this episode. Tom then congratulates his parents on the wine. Again, Tom, you gotta remind him not to fucking talk about the wine. Mm -hmm. Um, Shiv walks up to Gil and he is just pissed that Logan is coming. Says that Logan has... He is a pretty, pretty... interesting line here he says that logan has a gravitational pull he's not a man he's a fucking planet it, it again shows the certain measure of respect these individuals have for each other of where he truly seems to view logan as a force of nature more rather than an individual oh yeah, yeah he's an entity to him um mm-hmm. ask shib if she has anything he can use she does not yet nate urges her to give up something on atn and she says she's worried about collateral damage tom nate says he'll be fine shib quote Oh, says the man who literally has no idea what he's talking about. Fair. fair. Anything on this scene with with Gil? I mean, Gil, not a good episode for Gil. Now, why the hell did Gil agree to be here? Why did they even think it'd be a good idea for him to be here? What's the point of him being here? So this this goes back to when you asked me about why doesn't Nate tell Gil about his relationship with Ship? I think it's because Gil is fundamentally an okay guy and he would not be okay with that arrangement. And I think he feels some level of like, okay, well, this is a high-level person working for me. I've been invited to their wedding. I'm supposed to go. Yeah, but why did they even freaking invite him? I mean, there's no value to him being here. It's not a media benefit. It's not even a practical benefit. No one's benefiting from, him, from his presence. It just makes it more awkward. It's This was a dumb idea from anyone present for Gil to be invited or Gil to attend. Yeah, I agree. Nate introduces Kendall, who starts off nice, but eventually asks Gil if he likes drinking their champagne. Good call. Hey, you know what, Kendall? Not your champagne. How about that? No, that was the Womgasses. What's the name of the Womgans? Womgans. Womgans. That was the Womgans champagne, and they did a damn good job with it. I love Gil's response, though. It's a quick-fire response to that question. Yeah, you you get the line? Yeah, I've got it. It's that uh, you said, well, you like drinking our champagne? And Gil smiles and says... Well, I'm a champagne for all guy, not a gruel for all guy. Good Roman response. walks up. I completely agree. Roman walks up. Um, <laughs> Kendall introduces him. You know, Senator Evis, sword of the dispossessed, lover of vintage champagne. <laughs> now, Roman comes in hot. Here. Oh, yeah. I love his starting line. <laughs> I guess I technically should take a swing at you. Your Roman voice has just gotten even more perfect as the show has gone on. My compliments, sir. Thank you, sir. Technically, I should call you libelous scum. Are you going to calm the shit talk down or are we going to have to ramp things up? Now, I don't know what Roman is really threatening here. Because what is he going to do? Throw a swing at a sitting senator? Like, you're not going to you're not gonna punch like a fucking senator. No, we also saw that he'd lost a shiv in a straight up fight. So, yeah, I'm not betting on him here. Shiv did beat his ass in the hospital. Hmm. Um, is your dad, this is from, from Gil, is your dad going to stop poisoning the discourse of our great republic? <laughs> <laughs> have you got a laptop? You see the shit that's out there these days? We're the good guys. Roman employs Kendall and uh, implores Kendall and Ship to jump in. Uh, they take a hard pass. 
Um, Shib says that she and Gil don't talk about ATN because that would be a conflict of interest. Roman lies. Oh, lies. Can't wait for the big one tomorrow. Well, these hands aren't going to fuck themselves. Yeah, that, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, Senator Beavis. Yeah, that whole spill right there is my favorite line of the episode. Just because, again, I love that he is getting his little defensive retreat into various just off statements when he feels like everyone's not got his back. And also just how freaking cutting he is at Shiv just casually. I, it, it really is a, a great Roman line because he, he hits him with, can't wait for the big one tomorrow. That's like, whoa, brutal. That's like one of the meanest lines of the episode. And we got a lot of mean lines. And then he just, these hands aren't going to fuck themselves. Now, I'm just what telling you. What does that you, mean? <laughs> uh, I think it means what it means. Yeah. This, is a, this is a sort of calamari cock ring situation. Thank you. Uh, but I, I just know that socially, if I met a guy who exited a conversation by saying these hands aren't going to fuck themselves i would make a mental note to hang out with that guy later because <laughs> that's fun <laughs> so yeah this little con this mix of three different things the utterly brutal takedown of shit one of the meanest things he's said this is really weird offhand line of his and then just the casual exit of nice to meet you senator beavis roman summarized right there yeah completely agree uh meanwhile tom and nate meet woo uh not good here Nate is really being a prick. Yes. He is pushing his role in Shib's life onto Tom more than he needs to, especially when it becomes very clear that Tom doesn't even fucking know who the guy is. Is this when we've we've had a lot of signs before that Nate is in no way over Shiv and views their relationship differently than Shiv does? Does this scene just make that all the clearer? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, if you were over someone and you were actually happy for them to be marrying someone else, mm -hmm. you would never approach their fiance this way. No, you A, never approach them, period. You just, you know, the fact you're even there is already awkward, but you just, you know, stand in the back and be happy for them. Him, confront it direct on, and then come out with his line of, what can I say, best man won. Why the fuck are you saying that at all? Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's terrible. Um, anyway, uh, Nate says it's nice to finally meet Tom, and Tom clearly has no idea who he is. Nate congratulates Tom on winning the ship off. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom explains again that he doesn't quite know who he is. Meanwhile, Tabitha is meeting Shib. Uh, very awkward meetings all around here. Uh, Nate is explaining to Tom that he used to date Shib. Meanwhile, Shib is explaining her mother's side of the family. Um, some story about an uncle who lived in Gibraltar with a monkey and swindled her mother out of money. What, what are we doing? What, what is this? I, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't either, but another monkey reference, Spencer? Yeah, you know, this I'm fucking, getting more... This fucking more, show loves me. And I'm getting more and more signs about why this show is catnip to you. <laughs> but I do, I, I actually am interested in the conversation that Tabitha and Shib were having, because it seemed like Shib just felt very comfortable with Tabitha and was just, like, talking shit. Just instantly, because the two of them just met right now, right? Yeah, Tabitha seems good with that. She seems very good with people. Yeah. Um, all kinds of people. Uh, PSA, um... <laughs> Uh, just for the listeners, don't live with monkeys. Yeah, that normally works out wrong. No, 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 just never. No monkey ever, never live with a monkey. Shib breaks it off with Tabitha uh, because she sees Tom and Nate talking, and she says that makes her want to makes her want to throw up, which is kind of a funny funny line. It's it's interesting too that she immediately says, "I can see my husband to be talking to my ex." So she's not really hiding much about this to other people, but she's been actively hiding it from Tom for a while. Never even mention the guy's name to him. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's tough. Caroline walks up to Tom. Here is the moment of uh, reckoning. Uh, I have to say, it's so nice for your parents to have paid for all this delicious wine. Tom, not at all, not at all. They wanted to make a contribution. Caroline, so clever how they were, uh, so clever, clever how they are letting every single person know. Love that line, and I love Tom's reaction to it too. Yeah, yeah, he he didn't really quite know what to do what, with that. What? And then Shiv walks up and says, "Oh, you're good. Are you you okay?" And his line. Yeah, I think I just got stabbed by your mom, but I'm not completely sure. Yeah, and Shib's like, yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> You'll bleed out in an hour. <laughs> oh, the mom's great. But but Tom then asked to speak to Shib alone. So we get yeah. a really interesting, sort of brutally honest conversation here from Tom. From, yeah, from one of the two of them. Yeah, I phrased that very carefully. They go upstairs and Tom mentions he met Nate. And Shib gets flustered and she does something she doesn't do a lot. She gets nervous talking. Yeah, and obviously so. Yeah. Tom asks if what they have is real. He kind of drops the sort of like, come on, not the pretense of this. Uh, Or is he just a total jerk? Is he just somebody who's just falling for this crap? He says they don't have to get married. And an interesting line here from Ship, she says, but all the people are here. Oh, plus I want to. I want to. Yeah. And I I love Tom's line, too, of where he means this very seriously. That, yeah, this would be embarrassing. This would be really rough on us. But this does not need to happen for me. Right. And I, he I, think he's a, be- I think he's being very honest, yeah. This is an incredibly honest conversation from Tom. That he's just like, I need us to have an honest moment right now. I need us to actually have the relationship that I think and want us to have. And he's there. He's committed. He's 100% to this. And she's not even walking into the same room that he is. Yeah completely agree tom then bluntly asks if she's fucking around on him because he gets vibes ship says well dc loves to gossip tom sometimes there are rumors and people are not fucking but sometimes they totally are yeah (laughs) ship says honestly and man the first time i watched this i thought come on ship come on you can do it come on (laughs) she says this is real i'm not fucking around on you so ship here you had the fork in the road. You go you go left, you're a good person. You go right, you're a bad person. And she took a hard right. This is a terrible lie to tell him in this moment. And it just continues to shine, uh, sh- uh, shine light on the fact that Shiv is just a really bad person. Before we started recording, me and you talked about this. I think she just, in her core, is bad. And it, it, in some ways, it makes it all the worse that it's Tom. Because I wouldn't necessarily say Tom's a good person. He's twisted. But he's really, particularly with Shiv, true. He's very honest. He, his feelings for her are unquestionable. And to see her say this to him and see him respond, well, I trust you. It, again, you know my feelings on dogs, but it feels like kicking a puppy. It's just like there are things you shouldn't do. Just and you do regularly. Yeah, I don't kick. I don't. I don't physically harm them. It's more of an emotional abuse that's been recorded several times on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but yet, the fact that she tells this lie to him, and given how well, I'll ask you practically. I don't think he believes her at all. But I actually have this in my notes. A question for you. Yeah. No, I. I don't think he trusts her now. But he does love her incredibly deeply. And he's willing he? to swallow... Yeah, I think he does. I think... I mean, we've talked about that he's doing this in part because he wants the power, he wants the, the wealth, the prestige, everything else. That he's in much in love with with the, what has come with her as, as with her. But I think he really does love her. And 
the fact that he's swallowing this is just another thing. To, I, you know, I didn't mean that, but that's funny. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just another, another painful moment in this episode, and we're not done yet when it comes to these two. No, it's not. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I don't think Tom trusts her. I think he does have some love for her. I'm not sure he's in love with her. I think he really wants to be Tom Roy. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just tough all around. Yeah. Um, but Tom dis- then ends by saying he'll tell her about the cruise line stuff, which not a good idea. No, in no way, shape, or form. And he seems to be doing it as an act of devotion to her. Like, I'll reveal my secret. Is there an expectation on his part that if I reveal this to her, she'll be comfortable being able to reveal things to me now? Is he pondering uh, a quid pro quo, as it were? Oh, topical. No, I don't think so. Because it never comes up and he never suggests it. Now, one thing I will point out in this scene before we move on is that Ship has this throwaway line. Now, this show is really good about this. It will give you these lines where you're like, whoa, there's a lot more history there. And they never give it to you. Uh, Ship mentions that she was a mess when she met Tom. And she needs him. That's so a, there's that's a charged line. There's a lot there, and we never hear more about it. I, I, I we don't hear any more on this episode, and it's like, what the fuck does that mean? And when she says she needs him, you notice she hugs his his face against her chest, mm-hmm. so he can't see what expression she's making, and she makes this sort of like, oh fuck, I I really do, don't I? Like look, you know, her, look on her face. It's really interesting, and we've debated endlessly in the few episodes we've watched. Why the two of them are together, I, I, we've never fully got. I even joked at one point that she wanted a puppy and she got Tom instead and has confused the two. And But this is an interesting revealing moment of, we don't really know where they began, we don't really know why, and yet there's seemingly a reason for it. And they both seem to get it, including Shiv, which was interesting. I agree with your interpretation that that was a weird look on her face to unpack. Yeah, yeah, very strange. Um, okay, we ready to move on? Yeah, let's go. Okay, very strange scene here. <sighs> Cuts to Kendall doing coke in the bathroom. This one does. Spencer, do you know how he's doing coke there? Uh, no, actually, I was going to ask you about that. He's taking what's called a bump. It's a little bit you put on either a key or your hand, and you just take a quick one. Gotcha. Um, it's a it's a it's a maintenance thing for people who do a lot. So <laughs> the fact that he's doing it in this way, I think, is indicative that he, like. Yeah, he's probably just doing it around the clock. That, that, was, that was one of my questions. Is, is this evidence that he's just... Every moment we're seeing of Kendall now, he is high. Uh, probably not everyone, because Coke just gives you like a very quick high, and then it goes back down. But I think he, he has it in his bloodstream, and he's probably doing it periodically through the day. Gotcha. Because it, it also didn't seem like a big event for him. It just seemed like kind of like he was just washing his hands or something. Right? <laughs> yeah. Went to the bathroom, washed my hands, checked myself in the mirror, did a bump. The, now I, need, now I go back and join the party. So he walks out and he runs into Rob, the worst possible person for him to run into. Why is she here, Kendall. honestly? Because Kendall had a guest list and he doesn't have any friends. <laughs> We're seeing how sad Kendall's life really is in this collection of friends that he's, quote-unquote, friends that are invited on his behalf. So Kendall's having a tough time holding it together here. She finally asks if he's okay. And he, this is just coke rambling. He says he did 120 push-ups that morning. So yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> yep. And she knows all these signs real quick. Yeah, she looks down, and apparently he left a little on his jacket. And she says, not one of your more relaxing interludes. Yeah. Uh, he says he's stressed. He's probably got a cancer. Um, eating him up from the inside. And he has this... Uh, the actor, Jeremy Strong, I think does a really good job of just looking kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. 
he got his face kind of seems like twisted like he i, I don't know how he acted that but it, it looks pretty realistic to me um she whips off wipes off his jacket she mentions that um uh his lawyers have gotten quiet and asked kindle to give them a nudge he says he would and she says she knows him and if he wants to talk she's here he then loses his temper and i posit that he loses his temper here because she's called him out for being high i think it's a mix between that and also their relationship is messed up and her way of interacting with Kendall is messed up. And this call out has been, in my mind, a while coming. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but when Kendall loses his temper, he says, well, my lawyers are stonewalling because your lawyers are trying to fuck me. Why don't we just leave it to them, these evil people, the lawyers? I mean, I think we all know that. Thank and you. they can go on pretending like they like each other. And Rava ends it with, have a fucking line if you need one that bad, Kendall. Kendall says he will. He keeps ranting and she walks away. Not not a not a great look for Kendall here. No, no, it isn't. But at the same time, we've talked about how manipulative and times cruel she is to him. So I don't see much continued interaction between the two of them being positive. So yeah, just burn that bridge and let's go. I'm going to tell you, if I need Kendall to sit in on a one-hour meeting and I need him to be on it and he has to be high, it's going to be meth. Meth Kendall... <laughs> Meth Kindle made a lot more sense than Coke Kindle. Meth Kindle made family therapy just work. <laughs> yeah, Meth Kindle had his shit together. Coke Kindle just rants about doing 120 push-ups in the morning. Also, Coke Kindle apparently had Stewie and Rob on his friend list, whereas Meth Kindle had the meth guys, and he was just down with them inside of 30 minutes. Yeah, that one guy, he was really into wolves. Seemed cool. Yeah, those were friends for life right there. People keep bumping into Kendall. Great scene about how uncomfortable it is to be high in public. Like, he, he clearly is just not... He's trying to hold it together, but he, he feels very uncomfortable. And uh, he walks up to Jerry talking with Frank now. Uh, even Coke Kendall re realizes this could be a problem. Says, well, 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 what the fuck's going on here? This looks mighty cozy. Jerry kind of nervously says she was talking about the first time she visited the house there in back in 1986. Uh, Kendall just kind of just kind of out of it awkwardly walks off and it looks like jerry and and uh frank are a little concerned about him yeah and i don't think they were doing anything bad there the way that paranoid kendall was assuming i think they were probably just talking about what the house looked like in 1986 oh i disagree you think that they were plotting evil things no i think that frank was just telling jerry just t telling her what that about what kendall had told him oh really yeah i, I don't know i don't know if frank well we it seems like they're still chummy, despite the fact she kind of screwed them over. So it's hard to say for sure. But yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes up later. But anyway, go ahead. From what we've seen here, and what's also referenced a couple other times going forward, it seems like Jerry and Frank had a pretty big role in their upbringing. Is that an accurate interpretation in your mind? Oh, absolutely. Later on in this episode, Ship calls her the fairy godmother. Yeah, is she actually their godmother? I don't know. Sure, who knows. <laughs> But we, yeah. I think we also hear that Frank used to like fl fr uh, let Kendall fly around in their private plane. So yeah, they these guys kind of played a role of, I'll say, pseudo-godparents for them growing up. Yeah, yeah it's a very weird sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Back to Tom and Ship talking. Uh, Tom starts explaining the details of the crew's situation. And Ship is writing it down. Oh, what a bad sign. Tom asks Shib what she's going to do with the information and ask if she'll let him get hurt. And all she says basically in response is no, but I'll need specifics. 
And if that doesn't tell you that, no, she just doesn't care about you, I don't know what does. Terrible. Cut to downstairs, and ladies and gentlemen, descending from the sky, it's Logan Roy. Logan flies in on a helicopter directly onto the lawn of the party. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is and BJ, I'm glad BJ's not on this podcast because he'll be like, we don't need to get political. But this is actually a Trump move. So Trump did this in Iowa when he was running in 2016. Mm-hmm. I guess 2015 is when, when he was campaigning in Iowa. And there's stories of him being at events and talking to people and then being like, oh, oh sorry, I got to go. And then he got, takes off in a car gets on a helicopter and re-enters said party on the helicopter. The same party? Yes. I had It's a total like rich guy <laughs> look at me move. Yeah, because everyone has to stare. Everyone has to notice you now because helicopters are the loudest damn thing in the world when they're landing like that. So you're going to be in the immediate center of attention. Yep, I think you like that. Nate walks up to Shib outside. Ugh with these two. Um, but I think the thing to notice here is that Greg sees Nate touch Shib's ass and she doesn't seem upset by this. She just seems like a little annoyed, kind of bats him off. And Greg immediately processes this and Greg's first thought is, I got to go tell Tom. Well, he walks inside and Caroline walks up to him and asks how long he thinks the marriage will go. And Greg said, is there doubt afoot? (laughs) Is he still trying to talk like British? Yeah, he's really trying to fit in and failing hard at it. Um, she says, I, for one, think they are solid as a rock, but I'm just an old romantic. Apparently, she's doing this with everyone, and that's just hilarious. Yeah, very funny. Tom gives Greg a thumbs up, and Greg is just flummoxed. Yeah. In walks Logan and Marsha. Logan greets Shib, says he's feeling much better. Shib says, uh, well, you really weren't invited. Maybe I can get somebody to make you an omelet and find you a chair. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But a little rude. Marsha says, usually the ones who are paying get a chair, no? Uh, from Shib. Oh, I didn't know you contributed, Marsha. That's so rude of me. Thank you. <laughs> Very good line. Yeah, um, these two spar quite a bit over this course of the scene. I'm going to have you grade, you know, boxing style who wins this. Okay, yeah. So this round I give to Shib. Yeah. She she does get a line in on Marsha that Marsha has nothing for. Mm-hmm. Uh, off walks Logan. Uh, Stewie greets Logan. Ask him how he is. Logan says he's good acquisition-wise. They just have to shut down the voice of the fucking people and he motions to Gil. He goes right there. Uh, Logan sees Kendall and walks over to him. Mm-hmm. Logan starts ball-busting him, asking if he needs, like, corn to get through the winter. <laughs> but it, 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 it's it's ball-busting, but it's almost like... It's playful ball-busting. It's... Yeah. It has, an air, it has an aura that if, you know... I don't, however you want to interpret the relationship you can, but it feels like things I would say to a friend I haven't said, I haven't seen in a while. Yeah. It does kind of seem like, uh, like he missed him. Yeah. And you know, there's some indication of that in terms of where this conversation ends. He says, uh, he asked, uh, Kendall if he needs a reference for his resume, <laughs> relatively punctual, prone to bouts of insubordination. <laughs> Kendall has no response for this. Yeah. Well, and, uh, Logan says, how long are you going to fuck around on the outside? Kendall then kind of cuts to the point and he says, do you want me back just to put it on a press release? And Logan gives this sly smile and says, I'm just a lovely guy. As he's basically proposes that Kendall's going to take over Compass TV plan, right? Or at least take over some of the networks that he's he's going to be acquiring. I think he offered him one network. I don't, I didn't write it down for sure. He certainly references TV network and you know, that presumably is part of the ones he's taking over. So it's a way back in, uh, maybe even a big one, depending on what TV network we're talking about. Um, and but it's it, not what he was. Clearly not what he was. And 
Kendall, yeah, just brushes it aside, and Logan has that little sly grin. I love his little line. Yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a nice guy. I'm just a lovely guy. Uh, Kendall gets a refill of his drink and sees Roman at the bar. Roman asks what they talked about, and Kendall says, uh, well, we talked about what a great job you're doing. Mm-hmm. And Roman's like, oh, fuck off, really? Like, <laughs> Roman really wants to believe that that's what they talked about. Yeah, at all times and always, even when Kendall was just so obviously being sarcastic, Roman actually wants to believe it. Uh, Roman asks if uh, Logan mentioned the launch, and Kendall just laughs. Roman then under his breath, can I say something fucking funny? And then we've got the meeting of two of the most wonderful characters of this episode for a second. Love the scene. Nominated for best scene of the episode. Yeah, it's got to win. Caroline walks up to Stewie, introduces herself, and asks how long he gives it. Stewie, oh, I'd say forever. Or until ship goes away for a week. Whichever comes first. Excuse me. And Caroline loves this. She's legitimately charmed by this. Thought it was great. Ship walks up and says, hey, I, I heard that you've been asking people how long you give the marriage. Um... Now, I will point something out here. We we criticize Shib a lot, justifiably. But when this type of chatter is happening at her rehearsal dinner, mm-hmm. she's got to feel especially bad because she knows it's only about her. Oh, of course. Of course. Um, Carol, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Would, if one of your family members started doing, I don't know if one of your family members did this at your wedding. If so, you didn't tell me about it. But how would your family take it? Would they just treat it as a cheeky little opener? My family was happy to be there. <laughs> so you could have just walked up and called them dog shit and they'd have been fine. But yeah, no, I think that most families, I think, would would, would take umbrage with this. Oh, yeah. Um, it certainly breaks rules of decorum. Yeah, but I don't think the Wamsgams were like in a position to like do anything. Oh, do you think she actually... What walked... are they going to do? Take the champagne away? Oh, God. Do you think she walked up to the Wamsgams and asked that question? I'm sure it got to them. I don't know if she did it directly, but I'm sure it got to them. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, Roman walks up. And Caroline says, I like your girlfriend. All-time Roman line here. Oh, thank you. I met her at a sex party where she was giving the groom a blowjob. I can't believe he said that. I truly can't <laughs> believe it. I can't... This was, again, you were talking about moments where, oh, the show's willing to go there. This one just shattered through that wall in my mind. Just like, I never would have imagined he'd say this straight to Caroline. We shiv right there. But as we've talked about, Roman is so preposterous that I think they both thought it was a throwaway line. Yeah, I, I very much agree that neither of them treated seriously because, of course, Roman would just say something like that. But good God, the audacity of that man. Caroline says Roman should marry her. Weird. Where did that come from? I have no idea. Until Ship to stop take, uh, taking everything so seriously, <clears throat> and that she's just trying to sparkle. Thing to ask you about real quick, just to make sure of. But uh, this is Roman, Shiv, and Kendall's mom, right? This isn't Connor's mom, correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we... Connor's Connor's mom was the first first it, marriage. Is Connor's mom deceased? Uh, unclear at this point. Okay. Ship asks if Roman wants to meet up, and Roman asks at the place. So apparently there's like a place on this property that they would meet up. Mm-hmm. Cut to Stewie, who sits down next to Kendall, asks if the white whale told him anything. Stewie asks if he's okay. Kendall says um, he wants to know if he's going to get cold cocked. And he does mention that he talked to Frank, and Stewie does not like this. No. He's like, I specifically told you not to do this. Why did you talk to him? And he basically says, look, do not rely on anything Frank tells you. And... 
and this is where we get one of the lines just again how much people like Frank and Jerry and part of their childhood is that Kendall's legitimately like, well, of course I told Frank. Why wouldn't I told Frank? I mean, he 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 used to give me flying lessons in his fucking Cessna. He just does not have a concept of Frank not being part of his decision making in life. Yeah. Well, if I'm Stewie, I'm going to say, why why not tell Frank? Because I specifically told you not to tell Frank. Yeah. What else do I need that to explain about that? Uh, cut to Logan. He runs into Gil on the stairs. Now, I have written this entire exchange down. I don't know if you want me to go through it, but my thought here is that on the Mango Talks podcast uh, channel and specifically Mango Talks TV, we like to educate our listeners. Mm-hmm. We've told you uh, the ins and outs of Game of Thrones, the theory, books, spoilers. We've explained to you how nuclear reactors worked 30 years ago. I think there's a little political science here. Go on. I think that you got a little bit of like, this is a political science episode. So let me start going through it. Please. Logan. Ah, Mr. Fuckhead, I presume. <laughs> Gil. Logan Roy, Logan Roy, Logan Roy. Logan, are we allowed to talk? I have nothing but admiration for you personally, Mr. Roy. True. Really? True? What do you think? No. Of course not. You- well, he did, He goes on to say it's the sort of thing you say, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> ah, classy. So what is it you've got against me? You're the one making it personal. Logan, I'm just, or Gil, I'm just trying to do my job. Think of everyone, not just myself. This is where it gets into political science. Logan, the interest of each is the good of all. Gil jumps up, intellectual that he is. You don't need to remind me of my Adam Smith. I taught economics. Logan, where? Kindergarten? Which, I don't know if you noticed this, but when he drops that line, Marsha really liked the kindergarten line. Oh, yeah, she smiled. She, She thought that was funny. So, point for Logan. Good one, Logan. Um, what about from each according to his ability to each according to his need? Now, this is where I think Logan is able to distill the conservative mindset in one of the most crass, like just awful ways, but also is like, I think accurate. So Mm. what about, and this isn't me talking. What about me? Mr. Fucking ability busting my chops in the auto uh, shop so that some needy fuck from the projects can jack off on my time. That's the issue, I'm afraid. That definitely summarizes a mindset right there. It really does. Like it, it, he, He's rich and self-confident enough to actually say what I think a lot of conservatives think, which is like, no, nah, man, like I'm, I'm not going to work hard. So if I'm some fucking, and you know, he gets racial, racial with it, talking about the projects or whatever, but you can insert anything there. Just insert like phrase for poor person. It's fair for me to say this, that Logan is at least substantially self-made. No, he's completely self-made. Yeah. Gotcha. So he's, he's proud of his achievements. He's proud of what he's accomplished. He doesn't feel like he has to support other people in trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah. Um, Logan, you know, uh, and Gil says, well, that's a very reductive view of human nature. Logan, I didn't make human nature, but I do know what they read what they watch and I make my nut off people. Uh, I make my nut off what people really want. Don't tell me about people. I go flat broken a week. If I didn't, Mm -hmm. Marsha then drops the nice to meet you, Senator (laughs) Twitch Gil just says, yeah. And then Shib real punchy move here. Threatens Logan over the cruise situation. Yeah. Directly on the stairs at the party. And Mm -hmm. we start bout two between the, between Marsha and Shiv here. Yeah. Marsha peels off as Logan goes upstairs and says, um, that ship should be a little nicer. She says it in, uh, in, in French and calls her a spoiled slut. Okay. 
she landed around. So we're, we're tied up here, 10-9, 9-10. Because she has no response at all. No, but she snaps and just says, who are you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask her if she's ever had a grapefruit without an agenda. Pretty good one from Marsha here. She says, he made you a playground and you think it's the whole world. Dares her to go outside. Ends it with the Roy House words. Say it with me. Three, two, one. Fuck, Fuck off. off. Logan tells her someone will be in touch. I'm going to, I'm going to, this fight goes to Marsha this episode. Yeah. And this is a big enough smackdown in this particular scene that I don't care if she have won the first fight on points. This is a straight up knockout by comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Marsha, Marsha hit her hard here. Uh, and I mean, I think the line, it's a, it's a really good line when you think about what really wealthy people do for their children. Mm-hmm. He made you a playground and you think it's the whole world. And that clearly is Shiv's mindset. That she just always operates with the idea that I'm the protagonist of this story. I can do whatever I want because I'm the hero of the situation. I'm the only one that really matters. This is my world to use how I feel fit. And that we see it play a lot in this episode. So cut to Roman with Tabitha in their hotel room. Roman says she's great. He's clearly drunk here. Um, You're not a fuckhead or a bitch or a leech. She says you say such pretty things. Mm Mm-hmm. Roman then, I mean, he, man, he really just kind of does whatever the last person he talked to tells him to do. He asked her to marry him, or at least he suggests that he would marry her. How long have they been dating? Just, oh. I mean, it couldn't, it has to be weeks. Yeah. She says no, uh, <laughs> obviously, but then she points out it's not a normal relationship. Now, her first point in why it's not a normal relationship is they don't have sex. I imagine if you asked her to bullet it out, she'd have about 15 different things, but this is the one that she points out. Um, and this is an effective one to hit because we've seen before with Roman, this is a thing in his relationships and an issue of difficulty with his girlfriends. Yep. Uh, he asked again and, oh man, she has a tough line. She says like, babe, is this how you think you get people to stay? Yeah. That's a, it's not even a cut. I wouldn't even say it's cutting. It's just brutally effectively honest. Cut to Shib in a pool room. Um, that's pool, like a uh, table pool. Mm-hmm. Meeting with Jerry. Uh, she says she she's pretty blunt here. She says she knows about the crew situation. Um, Gil knows about it. And he may drop it if they don't stop attacking Gil. But she points out they want ATN to keep attacking him during the primaries. Good for him during the primaries. Then stop during the general. Shib mm-hmm. is pretty open that she's blackmailing her. Um, she... She does call her the fairy godmother at one point. Jerry says she'll consider it. Shib asked for marriage advice, and Jerry was like, I don't know. I was never very good at that. My husband died. Don't let him die. (laughs) Sound advice. Really sound advice for a new relationship right there. Really, Jerry should be writing the relationship advice this podcast. So is that the the Spencer relationship advice of the episode? That is one of my two points I was going to say, yes. Okay, all right. Kendall is called into a room with Stewie, who has Sandy Furness on the phone. Big boss man. Man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. Stewie explains that the letter that goes to Logan informing him of the attempted hostile takeover has to be sent tomorrow. Holy shit. So Kendall <sighs> obviously hates this because what? But Sandy throws it back on him and says, the only reason we have to is because you told Frank and now a reporter knows something is up. It's going to leak. We have to do it tomorrow. Which is interesting because I don't picture Frank telling a reporter. No, I think he told Jerry. And Jerry and started to leak Jerry it. Leaked, Jerry started to leak it. Yep, that's my theory. Okay, possible. Sandy ends, ends it with some really great life advice here. Probably going to be on the next round of Mangum Talks TV t-shirts. 
can't make an omelet without breaking some dicks. <laughs> oh, I love this show. It's so damn quotable. So ridiculous. Cut to Shib. She's walking to the place. Uh, and it's a dock and Roman and Kendall are there. Uh, Roman got in a boat, a uh, little skiffed, uh, and he's smoking weed. Mm-hmm. It seems like they go there to smoke weed, but, uh, you know, Shib has shit to do, as she explains. And Kendall says he does too, but shocker, Kendall still takes a hit. And they have a pretty good moment. Notably not including Connor, rather intentionally. Yeah, they forgot to invite Connor. For God. Tough, <laughs> tough look there for Connor, my guy. But they're kind of joking around. Yeah, they're being siblings. And they're having a good time. And Kendall proposes a hug. Yeah, and they do. And it's heartfelt. And they laugh. And it's the probably last tender moment they'll ever have. Yeah, and Kendall, I think, knows it. Because he knows all hell's going to break loose tomorrow. Because I'm going to take this company away from the family. Or at least he thinks he's going to. So he had one last hug with his with his siblings as they are all there. But and, first. And before the dynamic changes very, very quickly. Yeah. And yeah, it's a legitimately tender moment, but it's the, you know, calm before the storm kind of situation. Cut to Greg. Greg's having a tough night. Oh. He's talking to some random guy. Who is this? Who is this guy? We've um, never seen him. Well, no, he's just a, somebody who works for the caterer. Oh. So he's just some waiter. And Greg is trying to work out if he needs to tell Tom about what he saw. And then we have a montage uh, a montage of folks going to bed. Mm-hmm. And we have the next morning, Shiv is on a run. Tom is too, not running with her. Nope. And Greg finds him and tells him that he thinks Shib is having an affair. Tom's having none of it. Nope, nope, you're wrong. Okay, this is misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. I understand. Go away, Greg. Go away. But Greg feels the need to actually give the specifics. Tom does not want to hear the specifics. It escalates to the point that Tom actually starts hitting Greg and throws him on the ground. Really? I was kind of caught off guard there. I did not expect that. I mean... Well, mm-hmm. Tom doesn't want to hear that shit. He knows it. But he doesn't want to hear it. No, he doesn't want to hear it. I just didn't expect him to actually attack Greg the way he did. We're just seeing how twisted up inside this is making Tom. Yeah, fucked with him up. Fucked him up. Um, now, a very surprising scene here. Logan is having a walk with Gil. Terms have been reached, apparently, between these two titans. Yeah, looks like it. He mentions, uh, Logan mentions that he doesn't like being outside of the U.S. for too long. There's a merciless uh, mercilessness I miss. <sighs> That's a very interesting revealing line right there. Uh, Logan then shits all over the U.K., pointing out the slave trade. But apparently this meeting is about the deal that Shib pitched to Jerry, and it looks like Logan is cool with it. Kendall, or uh, Gil says, shall we shake hands? And I think Logan says something like, neither one of us wants to get dirty. Yeah. So uh, let's frame this. Essentially, in my mind, the deal that they have reached is that Logan will agree to hold off the attacks, or uh, hold off the personal attacks, and also do probably the attacks now, hold off attacks later kind of plan that Shib has proposed. And apparently, in exchange, Gil's agreeing to back off and let Logan get what he wants. This is a hell of a win-win for the two. Logan really, I think, is got it, more out wait, of here. Well, wait a second. Let's go back to the discussion between Shib and Jerry in the pool room. Shib does tell Jerry she knows about they know about they know about the cruise mm-hmm. situation. So, is it really about letting him quote get what he wants, which is I think is the the acquisition of all the TV markets, or is it not telling everybody about the cruise situation? I'm not sure because what's what's Gil's opening line here? But something like I really wanted to take you down or something like that. 
Yeah. And so that makes me think it's probably the, the Cruz situation because I'm you can block sure. the acquisition and that's not going to take him down. I'm not sure. I mean, because it seems like one of the biggest biggest thing that Logan cared about about Gil was that uh, Gil was standing in his way with respect to his acquisition and could cause him problems in that regard. I don't, I missed my interpretation. I could be completely wrong, but I saw this as basically that this is what Logan's agreed to do. And in kind of an exchange in some ways, Gil's also agreed to temper himself. Because otherwise, why does Gil need to be here for this kind of handshake moment? He doesn't. But he seems to personally mm-hmm. want to be involved in way things he doesn't need to be involved in. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. It's a, it's a very weird meeting, and I didn't trust anything either one of these said or agreed Why to. Why would you? Yeah. Uh, now Kendall is planning what will happen when Logan gets the letter. He's talking to Stewie. He's kind of, he's kind of anticipating Logan's reaction. He's talking himself through it, and man, he is pretty confident. Yeah. Cut to Logan in the car with Shib on the way to the wedding. Logan says Tom is a good man. Hold Shib's hand. Hold Shib's hand. And did it look like to you she was about to cry? Yeah, it did. It looked like she was actually touched by this. This is really what she wanted out of her wedding. As much as it is bought from blackmailing her father in some ways. See, I had a different interpretation. You think this is that you what, you think this is this is legitimately heartfelt? No, I think that she doesn't want to be doing this. Oh, she doesn't want to be blackmailing. No, oh. she doesn't want to be marrying Tom. Man, it's hard with Shib to think to analyze the various complexities of this character. There's a lot of things that she's involved in that's, that doesn't work for her. That are all fucked up, I know. But I, I thought she was looking at, like, when he says Tom is a good man, I think Shib is looking at her dad and saying, I know I'm a fucking bad person. I shouldn't be doing this. This is a bad idea. I, I don't know with her. I never know what to, I mean, this is a person who's legitimately framed this as that it's not evil if we're just doing it because it feels good this is her moral setting that she's put upon herself it's to a degree imposed so she can cope with her own guilt but i'm i don't get her moral center yet i don't know how it works oh there isn't one i don't think yeah what what was that quote she said like there there is no god there's just people in rooms trying to have fun or something like that that was her lot there is no god there is no evil there's just people in rooms trying to have fun which even nate says man that's nishi sure um cut to kindle and stewie stewie ask if logan may do a deal when he gets this letter instead of fight we end with the quote, have you met my dad? He'll never retreat. It'll be hostile, hostile, hostile. End and of episode. I'm down. I don't think Logan's going down without a fight. I don't think Logan's going down. And again, I said this before, and I'm ready to be proven wrong next episode. And I'm, if you want to laugh at me, go right on ahead. But I think Logan's going to win. I don't fully get how yet, other than it's going to involve Kendall. Because Kendall, you, what the fuck is he going to do with Stewie? What the fuck is he going to do with Sandy Furness? He can't buy them off. They, this is their plan to whatever, they, to, you know, take over the freaking world. The only weakness in this entire plan is Kendall. And so he's got to find a way to get to him. He's got to find a way to break him. I don't get how yet. But if anyone can pull it off, it's Logan, Marcia, and their team of people that are constantly watching everybody. I don't think, I almost want to believe that Logan already knows, but I actually don't think he does. I think he's got a blind spot for this. And so I am just excited to know how this will play out, how Logan continues to stay on top of the heap. So I really don't think Logan knows. I think we have a lot of a lot yeah. of evidence for that. A lot of, a lot that we've First of which, he's willing to be outside of the country. Yeah, big one there. And away from his corporate headquarters, away from the shareholders, or at least most of them. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, clearly this was a setup episode. It's a two-parter on, on, uh, on Shiv's wedding. Mm-hmm. So I think we've teed up for the finale. I'm excited to review it with you. 
it, it will be exciting. But we have a variety of things to finish before we get onto that material. So shall we, we go do. Into- We've got some segments. You've already established your first relationship line of the uh, relationship advice of the episode. What is your second? Uh, my second relationship line of the episode is for anyone who is looking for relationship advice, watch this show and do nothing that the characters do. So that's the same relationship advice you had last episode. It really just keeps coming up. It's just that these are bad people behaving badly at every possible turn. I mean, again, we're in a situation of where I think it's fair to say the only healthy relationship we see between a romantic couple on this show is between Logan and Marsha. And that's already kind of fucked up. <laughs> Cause they, I mean, Logan's a deeply damaged individual. Marsha just seems to be built around supporting him and has her own dark side too. But that's kind of it. Everyone else is weird or toxic or desperately trying to find new ways to lower themselves in this world and how they interact with their partners. Just watch this show and learn how you should not interact with anyone, particularly someone you purportedly care about. I agree. Okay, that has been Spencer's relationship advice of the episode. Don't do anything anyone does on this show. So what more can you really say, man? Come on. No, it's it's very good advice. I don't disagree with you. (laughs) Roman Latin episode. I even offered it last episode when you didn't have anything. I'm like, how about this one? Yeah. Um, How about this? Uh, Let's move to our next one. This is going to be Roman line of the episode. Now, there's not that many Roman lines, but there are good Roman lines. Yeah. And you already know what mine is. I can repeat it for you if you'd like. You go ahead. Oh, lies. Oh, yeah. Because I, yeah, yeah. I can't wait for the big one tomorrow. Well, these hands aren't going to fuck themselves. Nice to meet you, Senator Beavis. Just, it's three lines put together that are just hitting each pole of what Roman is. It's perfect. That's a good one. Uh, I'm going to be very, very selfish here in this awarding of Roman line of the episode. It's just my favorite thing he's ever done. Roman line of the episode. Tom, you remember Tabs. Oh. <sighs> Okay, it's not a great line, but the fact he does it is incredible. No, I think it's a great line. I mean, because, I mean, okay, yeah, I mean, the writing is very basic. But yeah. the fact that they did this with this character yeah. is yeah. just so yeah. hilarious to me. It, and again. Oh, you remember Tabs. It, it's, it, it is remarkable. It, you talk about how pretty much every episode or every other episode, there's that moment you just say, okay, well, wherever that wall was, it's been shattered and there's 100 yards behind us. This one had like two, and that one was just a hell of an opener for it. It sure as shit was, man. What a nutty thing. I've been so excited for you to both see the closed loop uh, uh, closed loop system episode, but then also to see what Roman does after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he actually starts dating her and brings her it, to Tom's fucking wedding. It, it's also interesting, too, but, you know, it seems like she and Shiv really hit it off real quick. She seems like somebody to be really pleasant to talk to. Maybe there's yeah, a potential... Sh- yeah. I don't think Shiv would even be mad if she heard like what it was. She'd probably be like, "Wow, okay." No, I think Shiv would actually appreciate it in some ways because she uses as a gra- as a grounds to alleviate her guilt. That's true. She was all she was way too down with Tom doing some hanky panky at the bachelor party. No, because she wants this to be an open relationship. She does not want this to be a monogamous relationship in any sense of the word. And so, if she can get Tom to do that. Even if he's not really okay with it and doesn't want it long term, if she can frame it that, well, you did that, so, you know, that's what we are now. Yeah, that would very Spencer-esque in that way. 
Again, write the story of what you think my life is. I want to read that book. Uh, okay. All right. Well, that is Roman line of the episode. Back to Roman this week. We're, we're, we're actually awarding it to Roman. Now we have our final segment, Roy of the episode. Uh, can I give it to an ex-Roy? Sure. Carolyn? Does she count? I think Carolyn counts. I think she counts. I mean, she's not a Roy officially anymore, but she's still very much part of the family. And everybody else is going through their shit. Everyone else is going through their own little orbits. And she's just remarking on it all and having a blast. She's having a good old time. I will award honorable mention to Greg again. Yeah. Um, Greg is going to probably win honorable mention every time. This is going to be a recurring segment with me. Like I have to give some shout out to Greg because he handled some very weird situations. Pretty well. In the best way he possibly could. And we also see how much he's very much became ingrained in the family now in a way he wasn't like six months ago. That he, They barely knew he existed. And now he's going to the wedding. He's hugging their mom. He's meeting their mom. He's directly interacting with all of them on a regular basis. Greg's come up in the world. And as you said, he weathers some weird situations here and does it from his own decision making. That when he goes and tells Tom, yeah, he kind of soundboarded it with that random guy in catering, but he still made a call himself and he committed to it, even when he's getting punched in the friggin' face. Yeah, and also there's another moment here that shows just the mobility uh, that Greg, uh, or the, the upward movement that Greg is making here. And that is when Shib is talking to Tom and Tom explains, yeah, I destroyed the evidence, but I had Greg sign out the evidence. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you know, he's family, but also he's expendable. And Ship checks him on that and says, wait a second, you'd kill Greg? And like, it didn't seem like Ship was totally down with the idea of just throwing Greg under the bus. No, and to, to the point, Tom has to even back it off. Says, well, you know, we can protect him or something like that. But yeah. yeah, he's family. We can buy him off or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, we've again, if Greg has the same meteoric rise in season two, freaking CEO of Waystar Royco. Why not? <laughs> All right, that's Spencer's prediction for season two. Mm -hmm. All right, anything else we want to touch on for Succession episode nine, prenuptial? No, it's been it, this has been a season of building to various climax moments, and they're going for a grand one here. Um, I, you know, I've offered my predictions. I'm ready for you to just make me eat crow when I get everything wrong and Kendall becomes the new boss of this company. But we will see. All right. Well, I enjoyed it, Spencer. We will do episode 10 next week. This episode will drop on Sundays. Our new our episodes are dropping on Sundays now, Spencer. Me and you have gotten pretty good about uh, recording every week. So we are, this will drop on Sunday. We are professionals that are just about to get investors for our Napoleon, for our Napoleon podcast, sir. That's the place we are in our lives. Check out Mangum Talks TV every Sunday. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you.